if you're sitting in the spaces that make this person whole, and then they're also connected to the camera, which is then the audience in that moment, you're having this peak cinematic experience in our minds. Sky, on this podcast, we have talked about every type of nonfiction storytelling. We've talked about short docs, feature docs, video journalism. We've talked to gatekeepers, talked about grants, but we've never actually gone into virtual reality, which is like a huge emerging part of filmmaking, wouldn't you say? I I would say that. Absolutely, Jenny. Uh, You know, I've also got to say that I am a bit of a VR skeptic. I recognize it's immense power for empathetic, shall we say, storytelling in a sense. But the the hardware is something that I'm I still can't quite wrap my head around in terms of massifying it, you know, but yeah. but I'm also very intrigued. Yeah, I'm in the same place as you. I mean, I'd truthfully never even put on an Oculus headset before we did this episode. And I was also just like, what's the what's the big deal? Yeah. You know, I'd I'd use the ones where you kind of like use your phone and you look around, but watching a film on an Oculus headset is really like a truly immersive experience. Mm -hmm. We like to say that film is like an empathy machine. Yeah. And I think that VR is that on the next level because you really feel like you're in the room with people. You can see their entire bodies. You can you know, you can see yeah. the items in their home, you can get close to them. And so, um, it, you know, it, it quite literally puts you in the in the room with them. Mm-hmm. Because of that, it is it's such a powerful storytelling tool with so much potential. Absolutely. And our guest today, uh, Gary Yost and Adam Lofton have really harnessed that potential. Amazing. Um, tell us more. So our guests, Gary and Adam, they are behind Wisdom VR, which is a production company that makes VR videos that feature some really amazing thinkers and storytellers. And they just finished a four-part documentary called Inside COVID-19. It features one physician who is also suffering from COVID-19 and kind of follows him through his journey of of healing. It's really simple, but very powerful. Um, And it was just nominated for an Emmy, right? Correct. It's amazing. Yeah. So it's an exciting time to be talking to Gary and, and Adam about this. Mm-hmm. And speaking of Emmys, not to digress too much here, congratulations, y'all, to uh, about 40 to 50, we've almost lost count, VC members who have been nominated for Emmys this year. Um, so so congrats to Adam and, and Gary and, and all of the amazing storytellers who are being recognized for the important work that they're doing. But going back to Wisdom VR, you know, the fact that it's a 501c3 project that is getting support from Oculus and other amazing, you know, foundations and featuring high level thinkers, so to speak, with, uh, you know, like Ram Dass and Peter Coyote and just amazing kind of storytellers um, who are speaking to the, not to get too woo-woo, but spiritual shifts in a sense um, in this interesting time that we're living through. It's fascinating. And to use this new storytelling technique to Uh, transport people is very, very intriguing. Yeah, we don't just talk about Wisdom VR. We also talk about VR more generally, like what types of stories are 
best for virtual reality, um, what the future of VR looks like. Mm -hmm. So it's a pretty wide ranging conversation. And I hope that everyone enjoys it, get something out of it. And just a special shout out to Sam Baumel, who is a multi-talented VC member who also does dabble in VR and had the idea to make this episode and hooked Jenny up with these two fabulous filmmakers. Thanks, Sam. All right. So this is Gary and Adam of Wisdom VR, and you're listening to Rough Cut. Thank you guys so much for um, for being on Rough Cut. This is really exciting. We've never had anyone talk about VR before, so super new for our audience. For our listeners who haven't seen a story told in VR before, aren't really familiar with VR, can you kind of walk us through what the experience of watching a documentary in VR is like? So the word virtual reality, actually it's a, it's a technical term that really speaks to um, a synthetic universe that allows a viewer with a headset that can, um, that can interpret six degrees of freedom, uh, allowing like roll pitch yaw and, and translating on X, Y, Z axes to allow a viewer to um, move throughout the universe, the synthetic universe unencumbered. And that's, um, that synthetic means it's all computer graphics generated. Um, to, to have, uh, there, are, there are no cameras that can actually uh, capture a full three-dimensional scene in six degrees of freedom. I mean, there are motion capture rigs and, and photogrammetry rigs that can capture a subject um, in a um, in a kind of a volumetric way, but there aren't any cameras in uh, in this decade anyway so far that can capture a full scene. So um, so what when you talk about what 360 VR is, it, it's not actually uh, virtual. It's not synthetic. It's uh, it's a photographic way of capturing a scene from the perspective of the camera. So when the viewer puts on a headset, the viewer becomes embodied in the exact space that the camera occupied in the scene. So um, you you become um, disembodied of your own body and you become re-embodied in the spot that the camera was in. So there's really nothing virtual about it. It just happens to fit into this overall rubric of, you know, uh, what people call virtual reality. Okay. So just to, to make it like super crystal clear for the, for the listener who hasn't watched something um, on the Oculus headset in, in VR, like you did a great story about Ram Das. you interviewed him. It looked like he was in his garden and the viewer could both like see him as if you were standing or sitting right in front of him. And then you could look down and see the grass. You could look up and see the clouds. You look behind you and see his home, maybe even someone like on the balcony of his home, like that level of detail as if you were literally there with him. Exactly. And and that's the difference between 360 VR and 180 VR. Mm -hmm. Whereas um, 180 VR is actually so far from what VR is, it shouldn't really be called VR. It's really a stereoscopic, it's you know, 3D movies where you've got a 180 degree field and you look around and you can't 
look behind you and see the house or the person or the flowers that are on the bench or you know the little statue of Hanuman in the in in that instance being with Ramdas and and so it's that feeling we can get more into this later but it's that feeling of being invisible but present in the scene um, that creates this very intense feeling of voyeurism what you lose in your sense of your body you gain in this super heightened awareness of what's going on around you knowing that no one can see you so you can study the person who's talking to you ramdas in that case or you can study the sculpture of hanuman and listen to him and not feel like you are not being respectful by turning away or you could turn completely around and look at the flowers and hear him behind you and you get this like tremendous it, there's it's very exciting when you it's you know okay i mean we've all got this invisible man fantasy right you know the common question is you know what would you rather have a superpower would you like to fly or would you like to be invisible right and i don't know what you know i for me it's i would like to be invisible and um and this way of being embodied invisibly in a scene is it 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 totally rewires your brain because and we can also get into this this more later but i'll i'll just jump into it now is that your awareness of what's going on in the scene is greatly heightened because you don't have to think about yourself or you know how do i look how what am i going to say next to this person there's all these proprioceptive actions that you have to um or thoughts that you have to deal with that are kind of simmering in the subconscious level that when you completely eliminate any self-awareness your awareness of the scene is heightened i mean jenny did you find that in in the absolutely in the yeah i have um like many millennials a, a big problem with like just checking my phone all the time when i'm watching something i mean even at the movies you're still kind of aware of yourself as a human like you're eating popcorn or you're like annoyed at the person texting next to you or something but this was truly it was truly immersive and almost felt like meditation in a way it's i think such a special experience that everyone should have it at, at one point and should take advantage of if they have the opportunity to yeah that's how we feel also yeah and i believe that the level of how visible or invisible you are has a lot to do with how the story is constructed how much the fourth wall is being broken and in a sense there is less or more being asked of you as an audience of how what do you need to track or pay attention to and, and as a new medium and for first time users of a headset just being in the technology itself can be incredibly distracting and at times disorienting and i found that myself my ability to parse the information that was being shared with me through the story was quite difficult at first and so it's also interesting as a storyteller is that you're in this medium that people are still learning how to receive and you're trying to tailor it to a pretty wide range of audiences but and and i think of how would an audience have been able to watch um a film that cuts as fast as let's say like the born identity and you try to track all of the action and storylines at the birth and dawn of cinema um there and there is all of these ideas of what an audience can do or what a filmmaker should do and we're in that space with 360 filmmaking as well right mm. now 
Another interesting thing about it too is like the job of a filmmaker a lot of the time is to tell the audience what to pay attention to and what to look at. I mean, that's so much a part of the art form, whereas this, you're just kind of dropped into a space and you are choosing what to focus on. So, and it's just such an interesting, different way of consuming films. Yeah, completely. I mean, we both, Doc Gary and I both come out of traditional documentary filmmaking and still make documentaries. Um, and so we bring all of the tools and techniques of documentary to 360, but at the same time, we really try and abandon our preconceived notions of what should be in this medium and utilize it for the power that we're receiving from it. So that in, in, um, as documentary filmmakers, the peak experience for us is always when we're in a deeply connected, authentic moment that is just alive and the camera has to do very little. The editing doesn't have to happen at all. We just have to be there with this moment. And it's actually what we're aiming to do in every moment within 360 filmmaking, mm. because you know you don't need to cut away to a slow motion magic hour shot while the person is speaking to their philosophies of life. If you're sitting in the spaces that make this person whole, and they're deeply connected to that truth. And then they're also connected to the camera, which is then the audience in that moment, you're having this peak cinematic experience in our minds and this peak human connected storytelling experience as well. So we're always aiming to get there, which is a very difficult thing to do, but we're always aiming for the peak. How does your approach differ? Um, I mean, you both have backgrounds, like traditional backgrounds in documentary filmmaking. Um, how does your approach dif differ both in like identifying the right kinds of stories for VR uh, and also just like, you know, executing them, you know, choosing where to shoot characters? I mean, it's, it's the big question. I mean, every we approach the work that we do both in, in and I guess in all multimedia, you know, mediums through the through the path of what, what is motivated. Why does this belong here? Um, there's, I believe most stories, almost all stories deserve to be told. Uh, the way to share them in the most impactful way is kind of a, this grand mystery that we're always trying to sort out and, and find a way for it to reveal itself. Um, so in, in thinking about 360 filmmaking, when I first began, that was a big question. Actually, I was actually trying to get out of the human centered perspective and uh, was starting to make the, the beginnings of an of a experience about trees. Uh, and it was the whole concept was how to, somebody's gonna take my idea now, because I never did it, but somebody take this idea. Um, how do trees experience different spaces and move you from very deep wilderness spaces from the perspective of a tree, just being right next to a tree, up in a tree, and move you closer and closer to urban spaces and let the sound in, in large part, really share the experience of this, um, this, this, this being that is surrounding us, these beings that are surrounding us all the time. Well, along that journey, I actually rediscovered um, an acoustic ecologist, Gordon Hempton, who has been recording the natural sounds, um, soundscapes of the world for the last 50, 60 years, and inadvertently has been recording the extinction of quiet places. And when... <laughs> I was reaching out to him actually just to, to understand in, um, about using his library of sounds and get some sounds. Uh, I realized, wow, here is the 360 
uh, story that I'm looking for. Being able to be with him in his internal monologue, in his philosophy of recording and also experiencing the natural world along with his mission of trying to protect um, quiet spaces. So his philosophy up in the Ho rainforest where he lives nearby is that if he can protect one square inch of silence, one square inch on the ground, that will necessitate the protection of thousands of acres of, of, a, of a basically a noise, a modern human noise boundary. Um, and I loved thinking about the importance of quiet spaces, but also the scale of the protected ripple effects. And so then I found that story. I think that a story like that lends itself really well to 360 storytelling because he, it seems like he's trying to preserve the feeling of being in that space. And so what better way for people to empathize with that struggle than to experience it themselves? Yeah. And the ability to go inside. So when we presented it at South by Southwest, we um, took our little corner of the corporate, you know, ballroom um, and made it feel, smell um, like the forest. So had a living space and actually setting the scene of going, and this is speaks to this, the power of, of being in a headset and that it can be an uninterrupted space. And then also if you bring um, other layers of intention, as you're putting somebody inside the headset, you can deepen the experience so that just like people have an elevated experience in a movie theater by creating the container, um, as you, as you welcome them in, it's very, it's actually was an amazing personal feeling. And this is actually, I'm sure Gary can speak to this as well, sharing your work in VR, especially because most of our work is sitting with elders, sitting with wisdom keepers, um, as they, as they present their unique, um, perspectives of the world in their personal spaces, then being able to actually let somebody know what they're about to experience, put a headset on them and then receive them on the other side. And you can facilitate a conversation. You can just hold space for them after they've come out. It's this amazing one-to-one -one experience happening twice, the one-to-one -one creator experience, and then the one-to-one -one experience that the audience is, is having inside the headset. Mm -hmm. Gary. Yeah, I want to speak to what you said about how it's this uninterrupted one-to-one -one experience and how Jenny previously mentioned how, you know, you can't check your texts when you're in the headset. You're completely absorbed. Even when you're in a theater, you're listening to the person next to you eating and crumpling their candy wrappers. Um, this is the only medium where a filmmaker can present their work to someone with absolutely no distractions. There's something tremendously profound about that, that Jenny, I, you know, obviously you totally got. And it's one of the really exciting things. It's also, um, it comes with a really great responsibility on the part of the filmmaker because, you know, you're literally monopolizing their audiovisual senses for as long as they're in the headset with you. And, um, you know, th there's, uh, you know, a kind of reciprocity that you have to give them for them giving something to you that they don't give to anybody ever. And, and, and that, I think there's this bargain um, regarding, you know, this kind of filmmaking that um, you don't have in any other medium. And it, it's one of the things 
Uh, it's, you know, like we've just previously talked about regarding the sense of voyeurism and this heightened sense of awareness. Um, well, it's, it's, you know, it's this issue of this um, sacred relationship that the filmmaker has with the viewers, you know, monopolizing the viewer senses is another unique aspect of this medium that's really interesting. And um, I think Adam pretty much, pretty much covered, you know, like the differences between like a HD type of, you know, 169 production, what we do. But I'll say one more thing about the difference between experiences that because you have these heightened senses in the headset, and I'm sure you, you notice this too, um, your bullshit meter is extremely tuned. Because you're just there as a voyeur, I mean, if you've just watched our work, you haven't seen anything that's kind of inauthentic because we strive for authenticity in our subject, but it is unbelievably easy to spot even the smallest iota of inauthenticity when you're in the headset. Whereas when you're doing a, a 16.9 traditional film, um, in editorial, of course, you can cut all that stuff out and you can manipulate in so many ways to hide an inauthentic performance, but it is completely impossible to do that in this kind of medium. Yeah, I'm sure that that makes you, well, I don't want to assume, but I would think that that would make you very particular about the, the subjects that you're including in stories. I mean, we want authentic stories no matter what, whether they're in VR or not, but it seems like with that kind of added pressure, you would have to be very particular about the kind of people you're featuring in a VR story. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think as documentary filmmakers, we have had a depth of subjects that we've worked with. Some are just so deeply connected to what they're working through or sharing, whether it's happening in the moment or they're reflecting on it after the fact. And there's very little that you have to do except for get out of the way and make sure that you're capturing these moments and in allowing them to stay comfortable enough and be in those spaces to share. And so we, we have to bring a lot of that to this experience as well. And for what we're trying to do, which is not voiceover and not just cutting things up, uh, we're, we're trying to let, let people just create their, their moments of sharing and, and let it ride. Um, we've had to develop techniques that uh, essentially get all of the work done in pre-production and production. So that, because I mean, as a documentary film editor, that's where all of, that's where all of my tools to really hone my craft and, and create the story live. And I depend on that and they've made every other aspect of my filmmaking stronger. But in this medium, you can't do any of that in post. You can't save the doc in post. Um, so what Adam was talking about regarding uh, the pipeline is all shifted to the pre-production side where, you know, you start out with a subject who can, who has an authentic story to share. And you have to get that subject to the point where we as directors can leave the room while that person shares their story to the camera because we can't be in the room uh, for a couple of reasons. I mean, although technically we could run a clean plate of us sitting over there while, you know, while we're in the room, what would happen would be the subject would be distracted by our presence. When, when we need that subject to, you know, to focus directly on the camera, 
and give that viewer in the headset something you know, really connected, that's not going to happen if we're sitting over there and they're like looking back and forth because they're not a professional, right? So, so we have to find a, we have to find a, a, an authentic subject and then we have to get them to the point where they feel super confident about sharing what they're supposed to share with no one present. Mm. I imagine that's challenging because I feel like the times that I've tried to interview people while not being there, like not even a remote interview, but let's say I give them some prompts and I'm like, do, you know, do like a selfie interview or like I'm going to send a camera person and you talk direct to the camera. Unless they're like a CNN pundit who's used to doing this stuff all the time, they're kind of awkward. Like they're kind of like, it sounds rehearsed and it doesn't sound conversational. It doesn't sound natural. So is that something that you run into, you know, not being in the room with these well, we, To be fair, we're, we're in the room in between. Okay. Yeah, we, in between shots. So, um, so what, we, what, we're, what we're always working to do, so in our pre-production, we're really always just deeply listening to who this person is, the pieces that they share. We're helping find what we believe will be a um, engaging, if possible, entertaining um, an enlightening journey uh, through through their their piece to share there. So it's often these are these are thought portraits in the wisdom VR series. They're not necessarily you know three act structures or narrative um, driven pieces. Um, although inside COVID nineteen is different in that way. Um, and then we plan ahead to make each space that they're in be motivated for the idea, the feeling, the thought. Um, that is asking to be brought through in that piece. And then as directors, we remind them of where we are in the narrative. Um, and, and, and then, and, you know, magic happens, think they share things that they weren't, we never heard before. It's great. And we just actually stay there in that conversation, in that location, um, in that shot. And then we move on to the next one. And so we, that's where, and then by the time we get into the editing stage, um, you know, there's, there's ways that we have to adjust timing every once in a while, because these things can't be so long, but we're really working, um, to, to create all of the timing, um, on set, so to speak, you know, just in our, in our production phase. And yeah, it is, it's, it's actually putting so much on the subject and, but it also in turn is a less mediated experience of, of the person themselves and, and of their, you know, of their unique wisdom to share. And what is intimidating, I think, moving into this medium and is actually the other side of the coin of this, you've you've completely um, captured your audience's attention, is that they can also put that attention anywhere in the space. And I think that has thrown people off as they're thinking about this medium is, and, the, and the cinematic tool sets that they bring to regular documentary of there, it seems like they might, you might be losing them or missing something. And um, I got caught up in that in the beginning. And actually, I just now see it as a unique opportunity in a way that if they do drift off, then they were supposed to. Yeah, so I want to circle back to Jenny's question about the kind of person that would work. I mean, I think you asked, like, are there some people who are more appropriate for this medium than others? And, um, you know, not can everyone share in this authentic way and certainly i don't think everyone 
can. I mean, certainly everyone has a story, which would be great to share in this way. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we, we were funded by Oculus to do nine pieces uh, before we did Inside COVID-19. But before that, I did a dozen pieces by myself before um, we had enough funding for me to bring Adam on board, uh, which was when the Wisdom VR project really took off because Adam's such an incredible director. But what what I, I definitely learned that there are people who um, just didn't have the capacity to let you know let the the veil down and be totally present. Um, and there were a few few experiences that I just had to throw away. I just never posted because, um, like I said, my like my own bullshit meter was like, oh my god, this is. It's really scary. So I had learned quite a bit from those dozen experiences before Adam and I embarked on the nine that we did before Inside COVID-19. And so, you know, we really chose people who were, you know, had the capacity to share in that way. And I, I think you could watch all nine of those before you watch Inside COVID-19 and, and you won't see a bullshit moment in, in any of them. Mm. Um, because we're just so sensitized to this issue. Mm. When was your bullshit meter going off in pre-production when you were like talking to people? Were there any things that, you know, stood out to you as being like, okay, we can't, you don't have to na have name any names, obviously, but like, were there certain qualities that you could just kind of like eliminate people from the possibility well, of? I mean, certainly these 10 experiences we did for Oculus, including inside COVID-19, we, we vetted people so that I don't believe the meter even registered on the dial with any of these 10 people because they were, I mean, we knew how to vet them. Um, but I guess that's what I'm asking is like, what were you vetting them for? What, what qualities were you taking into consideration? How could you just eliminate someone based on what? I think as, you know, I think documentary filmmakers, especially for those of us that bleed into uh, corporate documentary work and other spaces where we're, we're engaging with people that have a running story in their mind and it's prepared in a lot of different ways um, and they're not finding themselves vulnerable or fully honest to it. It's, it's ends up being kind of PR. And so when you hear that, and, and we all do recycle our stories because we're all storytellers and we're kind of trying to improve them all the time. And so it is, yeah, I mean, it's a feeling when you realize that somebody isn't opening themselves up to being vulnerable to uh, a deeper understanding of themselves and an inquiry that if they're just trying to present uh, a version of their story and not dig into the larger question of if you only have eight minutes to leave a piece of you behind in this medium, what do you want to use that eight minutes for? is really what we're working with when we're when we're creating these wisdom VR experiences. And I think that asks um, a, a, a pretty big a pretty big question for everyone. And for the type of people that we're looking to engage with, they often are really honoring that space and rising to the challenge of that that request. Mm -hmm. When you met Dr. Josiah Child, uh, what made you feel like he was the right subject for inside COVID-19. Um, I mean, there's like 35 million people who have gotten COVID in the United States by now. Um, and you kind of 
focus this story on, on one person who's who's had it. Um, so what really made him stand I'll, out? I'll, I'll speak to that for a moment and then let Adam, Adam will, will, will actually speak to it better than I can. But the way, for, first of all, we didn't expect that to happen. I mean, when we did our ninth, we finished our ninth Wisdom VR piece in February of 2020. And we were, we, you know, we had I, ideas to get funding for another series of pieces. And then, you know, the shutdown happened in March. And we basically said, eh, you know, that's that. We'll go play Beat Saber for a while, watch Netflix and wait till see what happens. And then a friend of mine who had previously told me she knew this amazing uh, physician who was in charge of all these emergency departments called me in April and said this physician that she, she'd been wanting to get me together with for the last year or so had this horrific case of COVID-19. This is early April, right? Right in the beginning. And that, you know, essentially she asked me to pray for him and because he was so sick. And I was like, whoa. And, um, and then a month later, she called me and said, hey, he's, he's recovered and he's coming out here. And uh, I really think that you ought to do a wisdom VR piece with him. <laughs> it was like, wow, you know, we don't like to say no, you know, if there's an opportunity. I mean, the, the old phrase, you know, what, you, what, you go where the horse wants to take you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it is really, you know, these stories find you in a lot of ways and whatever your networks, your web of connections um, provide uh, you access to. And then what you're open to is the next step. And so Gary was open to it before I was. I mean, I was interested. Uh, it was, you know, the pandemic was so new, as Gary is explaining, it was just this big swirling mystery in all of us. And we were trying to figure out how to react the right way. And uh, Gary hosted us in outside in his garden uh, on a sunny afternoon. And we got to sit with a doctor for the first time and an emergency department physician, no less, who was in the thick of responding to the pandemic and then had already, of course, been sick himself. And it was incredibly grounding, orienting, and there was a feeling of safety that uh, his experience, his ability to share and articulate that, and then just answer uh, our hands, our fists full of questions, um, and and provided a, a deeper connection to the current moment in a way that made us feel safe. And and he presented other ideas that seemed outlandish, like going to New Mexico to, you know, film in his, you know, hospital and in his house. And we have, and, and I'm trying to wrap my head around this idea that here, I'm not even trying to go in the grocery store and I'm going to go walk into an emergency department uh, with a camera. Uh, but we were open and uh, we, we continued the conversation and we looked for other energy that could help connect financial energy uh, as well, that could help connect the story and make it but it was through the continued conversations with Josiah, who has become a dear friend uh, to, to us all, um, and probably to everyone that he meets, really. He just has that approach. Uh, he is the doctor that you wish you knew, that you wish you had his number when your son uh, is having a strange feeling in the middle of the night, and he's the person that you can call, and, and, and he can give you the advice. And so we knew that there was an opportunity here in sharing him 
to per perhaps offer that same sense of orientation and safety that we received sitting in his garden. And then we just started the process of figuring out how to, how to approach that and, uh, and actually make it as relevant to preserving this cultural moment that we are all experiencing that was touching every corner of the earth and make it a, a record for the future, but also a tool for today so that it could be some type of public health messaging um, as well that that would help perhaps move people into a healthier space and, and make communities safer. Mm. The most interesting part of the film for me, which I wanted to talk to you guys about, is how you chose the locations to shoot in. Um, because it wasn't necessarily, I mean, we would expect a, a film about COVID, you're going to be shooting in someone's, um, in a hospital, in someone's home. But then there were like kind of random locations like, uh, you know, there's scenes of him hiking, I believe, in New Mexico, where he lives, beautiful scenery. And the topic of discussion in, in when you're interviewing him in those settings is not the scenery that he's walking in necessarily. It's it's like the life experience he's had. And so it feels like a bit of a mismatch. Um, so I'm wondering, I guess, how you chose that approach. Well, it, it all started with listening. And uh, so Josiah, a part of his life is in California at the Seton Medical Center in San Francisco, where he's um, managing that emergency department. And the other part of his life largely is in New Mexico, where he and his family live, and he manages um, the Los Alamos um, emergency department there. And those desert spaces are actually on the way to the hospital. And it's a really interesting, you know, what really came through and, you know, the desert is such a powerful space and is such a visual metaphor unto itself of, of what it means to be in this great, wide, open, vulnerable space. And you do, especially when you're alone. Um, and even though you have where he was, you have some perspective and you can see the horizon it's an incredibly dangerous, vulnerable, but beautiful experience. And I think that's what he was really having a lot of the time here. And he shares that. I mean, it was the most intense time for physicians in, in modern history, but it was also incredibly exciting and dynamic and, and, um, and I think fulfilling because the, the level of discovery, the level of research and care was was changing so quickly. Um, and there was so many mistakes made and it was, I mean, so many lives were in the balance of that. Um, but it was bringing together a global conversation in medicine alone, let alone all the other global conversations that were created because of the pandemic on a whole new level that hopefully will sustain uh, into the future and create way more resilience in our medical healthcare health messaging system than we had um, at the beginning of this. And so, yeah, those locations, I didn't wrap, I couldn't wrap my head around it at first when he suggested it. And then the story worked around it. And, and that is, and it also um, offers contrast as well. I think we, we look for that um, in different ways within the storytelling that we do. We're looking for the contrasting spaces to help uh, guide the audience through um, the story and give them a break um, and, and give them also a new chapter to think about the next idea and the space in 360 filmmaking really provides that. The other thing about Josiah is that he had an undergraduate degree in philosophy. 
before mm. he went to medical school. And as you got from, or you, um, we haven't talked about this yet, but he really um, becomes very meta in, in quite a few places. And, and that opportunity to be in the big, wide, unknown space of the desert um, like was a much better stage for him to, um, you know, talk about the philosophical and, and you know larger macrocosmic elements of the pandemic instead of, you know, the 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 documentary you know takes you from the microscopic world of of the virus when you're inside in the cytoplasm of an epithelial cell watching the virus reproduce all the way, you know, we're floating outside the planet and we're looking, you know, we're trying to take in the global, um, you know, repercussions or causes. Uh, and then along the way, we get very, very personal into his family and his, you know, and his own psyche. So the desert was, you know, we didn't know it until, you know, he told us why he wanted to be out in the desert. It was an essential backdrop for his philosophical mind. He's, he's mm. an amazing mind. Yeah, clearly. I, I didn't realize that he suggested that. That's that's interesting. What advice would you give to someone who is trying to get into uh, VR storytelling? Well, first of all, I mean, I'll start. Maybe Adam can pick up. You, you would have to have a, um, a real desire to be on the bleeding edge. What do you mean by that? Well, uh, for example, if you want to shoot stereoscopic documentaries, 360 documentaries, up until two years ago, uh, a documentary filmmaker would have no problem contacting Google, for example, borrowing one of the Google Jump cameras, going out anywhere in the world, shooting a documentary, sending the data back to Google, and they'd stitch it for you with their Jump assembler, and you'd get it back. And there was the beginning of a, you know, National Geographic was using it heavily, and there was the beginning of a, a big movement in, in 360 docs because you didn't have to become a super techno nerd to do it. And then Google shut down the jump program two years ago. And uh, that was kind of that. And you, so you all of a sudden had to be a super techno nerd to do it. And then the camera that we use, which is kind of the perfect camera for this, was an experiment made by a camera company in in Sunjen, a company called Zcam, and they made 20 of these cameras. And luckily we own two, but like you just can't go out and buy one anymore. And there are a couple 360 cameras and yeah, they're fine. But I mean, the, it's just fraught with, with technical issues. So if you want to be a monoscopic documentary filmmaker, it's a different story. There's, you know, you can buy a GoPro Fusion or GoPro Max and, and um, it's, you know, it's certainly less, less complex. So, you know, there's, there's this range of technological prowess that you have to have. Plus, you know, it's a niche market and there, you know, you, there's just not that many people with headsets and um, you have to really let go of the need to get views, view counts that, you know, that's both an, an ego let go. And, you know, of course, most funders want to see eyeballs. So, you know, it's like you have to have a pretty, you have to be pretty driven. Um, Adam, I'll let Adam answer the rest of that. But, you know, for me personally, I just saw the the nature of 
of connection and immersion that you could provide and became instantly completely obsessed. Um, so I think it's, you know, if, if you're a young filmmaker and, and you put on a headset and you see something that really excites you, just like anything else, you, you have no choice but to move forward and try to develop the medium to the next level like we are. It sounds like we're talking people out of becoming 360 filmmakers. Um, <laughs> Gary is not um, being shy about sharing the technical hurdles. And there is this feeling that everything is broken and you're constantly just trying to sort it out and figure it out. And it's incredibly exciting and dynamic. And, you know, in film has had these layers. I mean, most I got into documentary film when mini DV tapes were in you know, three CCD cameras and Final Cut Pro was in a second iteration and hard drives were getting cheap. And it was just this perfect time to start using these tools and getting good and, and get good at, at all of it. Um, and other people had already walked through the snow for so many generations within filmmaking, and within documentary filmmaking or so many years. Um, and in so, in so many ways, 360 is there again. So you have to be open to all of the, the technological hurdles, but I think you just have to be open to the medium. Uh, I had a lot of unexamined assumptions about what VR was, what could be done inside a headset, uh, really wasn't interested in it at all until I had a meaningful experience in a headset, which happened, thankfully, to be my first one. Somebody gave me um, uh, a Google Cardboard and I watched Notes on Blindness, and I understood the power of perspective within this, this storytelling medium and was looking for what was mine to share in there. What, how could I harness these tools? And I'm still searching for that. And so it's great. I mean, if you, if you start with an amazing cup of coffee and it really excites your senses, then you'll probably become, you know, a coffee drinker. Um, but there's a lot of Folgers out there um, to try first and, and, you, and you might not pick it up. So being open, being curious, uh, right now, it's something we didn't really talk about, but it's, it's both, it's, it's an art form and it's actually an amazing tool. So I come from a space where I'm always usually trying to, to share a short, powerful, thought invoking feeling story, but the utility of 360 filmmaking in its monoscopic form is actually quite incredible in the moment that we are right now. Um, we are in a deep moment of environmental collapse and cultural collapse. There are countless cultures and languages and food systems and ceremonies and stories that are slipping into darkness that are going to sleep and there's nobody picking up those oral traditions or, or the written traditions and carrying them forward. There's a moment where actually documentary as utility to try and preserve some of this, if only as a placeholder, it shouldn't be a substitute. This should be actually transmitted into other beings, into people and being witness to that as a documentary filmmaker is huge. And I think we're now seeing how extractive storytelling can be and has been. And we're trying to create opportunities for documentary filmmakers from their own communities to have the tools, to have the, the time, the resources in order to create these. And so a huge piece of the Wisdom VR project, which has always been a mission, is how can we take this 360 technology in its simplest form 
and put it into the hands of the people that are already sitting in the rooms with the elders. And so that is really an opportunity for people that are thinking about 360 now and not as necessarily, you know, getting their next piece into Sundance um, or these other amazing film festivals, but as a way to just preserve the people and places that make their own lives whole and offering that as a way back perhaps into the future because um, we're going to need we're going to need these lessons over and over again as we move on rough cut is hosted and produced by me jenny butler and sky dylan robbins and our original music is by zach wright and the podcast is part of the Video Consortium, which is a global creative network and community that unites today's nonfiction filmmakers and video journalists. You can visit videoconsortium.com and we'd love for you to join our film family. And we love hearing from listeners. So if you'd like to send us a note, you can find us on Instagram at, at roughcutpodcast, or you can send us an email podcast at videoconsortium.com. And don't forget to rate us and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe. Thank you and see you soon.